Welcome to the Passionate Photographer Podcast with Steve Simon and Clifford Pickett. Hey, everybody. Welcome to a brand new edition of the Passionate Photographer Podcast with two passionate photographers, myself, Steve Simon, and Clifford Pickett. How are you, Cliff? I'm doing well, Steve. How are you doing? I'm, I'm doing okay. Listen, uh, you know, just staying safe, staying healthy. That's the, the key these days. And uh, so far, so good. Uh, how about you? What you been up to? Uh, same here. You know, just got back from the Grand Canyon. We're back in Moab now. We're, we're lying low for a few days before the next journey of ours and uh, waiting for a friend to come in town and uh, just recouping after the last step. Just finished up the Lightroom boot camp. So I'm recouping from that as well. And uh, yeah, resting up before the next journey. <laughs> well, you look good. You look like you've already recouped, uh, so to speak. But uh, I'm glad to hear it. I'm glad things are going well. And uh, I thought we'll just uh, kick off uh, this podcast. Uh, here we go. Let me just get on here, get rid of this. Sorry about that. Um, so there's our logo. And the first thing I wanted to talk briefly about was this uh, Kickstarter thing deck of cards with a bunch of great photography information on it. Um, have you seen this, Cliff? I haven't seen this until you brought it to my attention. And this definitely falls in the category of, damn, I wish I thought about this. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> particularly when you look at the numbers, because uh, it looks as though their original goal was $1,140. And it seems to me they've uh, done well because they're upwards of $196,000. Apparently, they still got a few days to go on this thing. So obviously, it hit a photographic nerve, and uh, photographers are kind of into the idea. I mean, I think photographers are gamblers at heart, perhaps. And that's why having all this information on a deck of cards might be a good idea. Um, but you know, it, it brings to mind, well, first off, you know, there's, it's always a good time to kind of brush up and, uh, learn some new things. Why not when you're enjoying a, a, a game of, of cards? Um, but the other thing too is, I mean, throughout my career, you know, photographers for the most part are not wealthy individuals. I mean, success is measured in different ways. And, uh, I know uh, in the photojournalism industry, even though I said that weirdly, um, the people I knew, you know, there's always this sort of million dollar idea. There's always uh, photographers that are sort of coming up with ways to supplement their income. You know, photo bags. I remember back in the day, there was a journalist uh, named Jim Dompke who came up with the Dompke bag and it was wildly successful. And, uh, you know, looking for the, the big idea that's going to supplement the income and, and give you some freedom. Uh, can you tell uh, everybody uh, your big idea so we can steal it? The flugel binder, right? You, do you remember that? I think it was in cocktail. Is that little piece of plastic <laughs> that goes around the shoelace? Ah, uh, gotcha. Right? That's right. I, I totally agree. And the, the irony is here, this has been done before. This isn't even new. Uh, but for whatever reason, um, this took off. And it's, 
it's good for them, and it really, really makes me angry at the same time. I mean, I mean, it is well good for them. Good for I them. I mean, you know, just sort of on the bigger picture, if you expand out, I mean, I think it's always a good idea, and particularly now. I mean, we've seen a lot of photographers, and the rug was just sort of you know lifted right out from under them in terms of cancellations yeah. and so on. So, on a more serious note, uh, the idea that uh, to make your living it's become more challenging and we're all sort of dealing with that. And hopefully things will start to get a little bit better soon. Um, at the same time, uh, it's forced you to kind of maybe think of some other ways that you can sort of uh, give yourself the freedom. I mean, I think a lot of us in photography, we got into it, you know, it's a passion. It's something we can't help but do. Those of us that are kind of lucky in finger quotes to be doing this professionally, and I say that because, you know, sometimes it's not always so rosy when you need to make money from your passion and things are not happening. But it definitely, um, you know, to see something like this is a little bit maddening and inspiring at the same time, because you can see how this little idea, which I think anyone probably um, had they had of it or thought of it um, and released it at this time could, could probably do well, though let's face it, these guys did a really good job, um, you know, looking for ways to, to do things. And they're not always directly related to shooting. I couldn't agree more. I think the, the last podcast that we talked a little bit about diversifying and trying different things. And it's, you know, getting creative about how we, how we shoot, how we make money. Um, we had no idea. We didn't have this in mind, <laughs> but at the same time, it, it, again, it goes towards trying something different. Just throw it out there, see what sticks. And maddening is, could not be a better word <laughs> to describe that, right? Maddening. And the maddening part about it is I have a friend who did a Kickstarter campaign uh, out here at Lawrence and he did watches and he did, you know, the, the amount of engineering that goes into a lot of these Kickstarter products, mm. years of manufacturing and engineering, and this is a deck of cards. Yeah, exactly. exactly. That's maddening. Which again, you know, you can't necessarily, you can't necessarily predict. You know, the stock market. You don't know what's going to go viral over the internet. Yeah. Um, and you know, things are just organic and they happen and. Uh, you know, it's a bit of a numbers game like photography, particularly like, you know, street photography. We have to shoot a lot to get that one great shot. Um, so I guess all bets are off. Literally try anything. That's our advice. Just try yeah, anything. Absolutely. And hopefully by the end of the show, we'll both have million dollar ideas, which... Uh, Dress your cat up like a tiger, put it on freaking whatever platform you want. And maybe that's the next million dollar idea. Just try anything at this point. That could be it. Certainly email us if uh, that works for you. We want to know about it. So let's move on. Um, I thought we'd talk a little bit uh, inspired by this piece uh, by Robert Baggs, where he talks about um, bad habits, bad habits in photography, things that might be holding you back. So I thought... You know, there's a lot of bad habits that I have, too many to mention. The podcast isn't long enough. It could be a six-parter. But when it comes to bad habits, we'll go with what, you know, he highlighted in his, um, in his blog post. And uh, we'll riff on it a little bit. And I think that uh, a lot of the things he says we're familiar with in terms of what's working and what's not working. So I know you don't have any bad habits, right, Cliff? Oh, absolutely not. Yeah, I know. Oh, it's public or private? Okay, okay. <laughs> of course well, not. No, we all do. We all do. Yeah, exactly. So, so one of the things, um, and these are not necessarily in the order he put them forward, but uh, standing still. And by that, I mean, ah, there's a picture, raise the camera, click, 
and that's end of the ball game. I mean, I know for me, and I'll just briefly go first, that you know I'm all about the working it scenario because it's proven to be very valuable in terms of uh, you know starting here and ending up there, and there is a much better spot. And I never would have got to there unless I worked it, moved around, and I mean really work it and move around. Now, you, Cliff, do a lot of different kinds of photography, but particularly in sort of the landscape world where you're often anchoring yourself with a tripod, that whole idea of working it and moving around isn't quite the same as I'm speaking of as kind of a roving street photographer, right? Yeah, it's a very different concept in land photography. Landscape photography, it's most people's impressions of it is just that. Like you stake your tripod down. There's, you know, there's analogies to having indents in the rock of famous locations out here, especially where I am in the West right now and by Moab. Um, you just, you literally stand there, you know exactly where to put your tripod and you wait for hours for the light to do something. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. So it's, it's less of a, a physical moving around, but more of a letting the world kind of move around and be there when it, you know, reaches its zenith, so to speak. Um, yeah, and, and that goes towards patience a little bit, but at the same time, what I tell most of my students and what I personally do is, first of all, I can't stand tripods. Um, I'm sure a lot of the audience would agree with me there. But two, I think it's one of the worst things we can do to the creative potential because we put it in the first place that's convenient. And what height do we put our tripod at? Five feet, whatever you are, so you don't have to bend down. And it just stifles our creativity. So usually most of our students on our workshops, the first thing I do is leave, leave the tripod. You just leave it in the car right now. Just get down low, crawl on the ground, get up high, get behind that rock, climb up over there, get that composition first. And then you can put a tripod up if you need it. And even then it's becoming less and less relevant as um, smaller sensors, better image stabilization, there's different techniques. But that's the last step, not the first step. I'm glad you said that because uh, even though that's not my primary interest landscape, um, when I am using a tripod, I kind of work the same way. I want to determine what that best camera position is going to be and then get the tripod rather than vice versa. And I think what you highlighted and I'm you know, emphasizing is really, I think, an important thing in terms of sort of pushing ourselves beyond um, what we normally do into something more interesting, more exciting. Now, it is true that in landscape, especially sort of the big ticket places that people go, uh, things start to look familiar when you see different photographers photograph in the same spots. You know, you see yeah. the image, you appreciate it's beautiful, but hey, I've kind of seen it before. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I really advocate the idea, if all the photographers are here, you go over there because, of course, they're going to get sort of the postcard image that people have seen, but you might get something, you often will get something, maybe not with the same absolute grandeur, but something, you know, interesting and different. And ultimately, um, you know, in terms of your, your portfolio, it's going to uh, separate you from everybody else, especially in a field where, you know, shoot here is the spot kind of thing. That drives me crazy. And, and being a mobile photographer, it's one of the, the biggest takeaways I have from shooting, the biggest lessons I've learned from shooting with my iPhone is that I don't need a tripod. Like, typically, you need a tripod because you want to stop down your aperture and get everything in focus, use your base ISO. There is no aperture to stop down. Uh, or to rightly say, you can't stop down your aperture. And you don't need to on a mobile device. So you don't really need much of a tripod either because everything's in focus in the first place. So yeah. I'm literally just running around, rock to rock. I have an e-bike out here. We get to more remote locations. And I much more enjoy the creativity 
the fun and the passion behind that, the creative process around finding a unique angle than simply getting the ultimate image quality, base ISO, stop down, F16, in the exact place where everyone else's tripod has been before. But I will say I also do cheat a little bit on this one. I, I have to admit, because shooting with the drone, technically I'm standing still. <laughs> yeah, <fair laughs> But enough. the drone is going anywhere. And I have to say, I can go six or seven up to 10,000 feet in any direction, in any elevation. Um, gray area there between, you know, line of sight and everything else. But mm -hmm. you can move the camera without moving yourself. It does feel a little bit lazy sometimes. Fair enough. You know, but it's how it's done. <laughs> I did a project years ago, uh, which, you know, I think I called it window seat, but someone else did. I mean, I'm not the first to take pictures out of the airplane window, but by sitting in that one space and just photograph out the window, of course, it's changing all the time. And you're sort of in one particular position. Um, that's a little bit different, as is the drone. And yeah. I think uh, both of those are absolutely valid. So one of the other bad habits they talk about, and it kind of um, is an extension of uh, standing still, or maybe the opposite, and that's rushing or or not spending the time that you need to to get what potentially you can get. You, you agree with that one? I find I I'm guilty of this one quite a bit. I find you're, myself you're rushing. Hurry. You're in a hurry. You're a busy guy. In, in, in landscape photography, there's no room for rushing. Uh, and that's just what I'm doing out here and not necessarily, I wouldn't, you know, dub myself as a landscape photographer all the time, but it is what we're doing out here quite a bit, especially as we're socially distancing. So it's harder to do or street portraits, stuff like that, but you're constantly, or I'm constantly rushing. So we're not doing it right all the time. If you're rushing for the light, you're already missing it. So there is something to be said about patience really is one of photographers, you know, best friends and standing yeah. in a place and waiting for things to, to develop. Yeah. Um, I find I'm always behind the eight ball on that one. <laughs> yeah, always I'm, running around. I am inherently not a patient person, but I do yeah. know, and I've said it before, that patience totally pays off in photography. I mean, even back in the day as a photojournalist, you know, we get to a, a staged event where, and we see it a lot in the media now, of course, you know, you'll, you'll see um, all, all these uh, press conferences, they're carefully staged so that the media there is going to get certain kinds of visuals and, um, you know, we learned early on that if you get there early and stay late, you're going to get something perhaps real, something different from what they want you to take away from the event, a real moment. You know, someone puts their hand over, you know, depending on the situation. But the longer time you put in, the more opportunity you have to get that amazing yeah. star image rather than the, the kind of uh, what, they're, what they want you to, to, to have. And that really extends, you know, to all kinds of photography, be it what I do most, and that is streets and documentary and what you're talking about in landscape. The more you're there, the more opportunity you have. And it is a bit of a numbers game in terms of the, the time that you invest. Doesn't mean you're going to, you know, it's going to work out every time. As a matter of fact, even if it works out like one time out of seven times, pretty good odds and your portfolio is going to reflect that. You're going to be a much stronger photographer. Yeah. And it's not even about, you know, I just use the analogy of rushing for the light because that's what comes to mind immediately. But it's often just rushing through a lot of different things, rushing through projects, uh, rushing through like I'm out West right now. I'm traveling around the country. I see people rushing through this. You know, I have a friend that just came out from New York and he got here in like 36 hours. And I come across people every now and again, if we, if you run into them and they're, they're rushing through, I have a week to see the West. 
Absolutely. And we've been on it for three or four months and often a lot in Moab and we've only just scratched the surface and there's something to be said about diving a little bit deeper, spending more time with the subject, spending more time with the project and not rushing it and let it develop. And uh, I've, I've personally noticed that I'd expect to do it. I didn't necessarily want to do it. That's just how things worked mm -hmm. out. But um, I'm learning that lesson and it's a, it's a, it's a big lesson to learn. And I'm glad I did. Yeah, and I think a lot of people, particularly when they take time off to go on a workshop, a project, a trip, you know, they have a, a set amount of time and they can't spend two months in a place as much as they yeah. might want to. But what you can do is when you're in that moment, when you're traveling, when you realize that, oh my God, where I am now, this moment is really amazing, but I'm scheduled to get on that bus and go see the next thing that I want to tick off my list, you know, maybe you should not go get on that bus be in that moment because yeah it's recognizing things that are special and when you know it's not an everyday scenario and when you're in that kind of magic place which is rare but it will happen to all of us don't leave it if you can't if you don't have to um because you know, chances are when you get to that next uh, place, it's not necessarily going to be at that exact magic moment. Maybe that magic moment was yesterday in that place and it won't come around for another three years. All I'm saying exactly. is, you know, be in the moment. As photographers, I think that's really what we need to be doing and that's what we do. Um, so let's, let's move on. Not shooting enough. I think that is a bad habit for um, a lot of us. And and this phrase can be interpreted in two ways. It could be interpreted in sort of the volume idea where you're not shooting enough frames of a scene, kind of not being patient enough, working it enough. But I think big picture, so to speak, um, for me it's more about just not shooting um, as much as I should be. And I know it's difficult to sort of put that pressure on you, but. The reality is every time I go out with my camera, I'm going to come back with something. And it's not always going to be five-star or portfolio-worthy. But the more I shoot, the better things get. And by not being out there, I'm missing. And, and sometimes, so it's, if we can find ways to get ourselves out there. Now, you're in a, a great position now because you are shooting a lot. But maybe I'll let you uh, talk a little about this. Yeah, to me, this almost dovetails very well with the previous one about rushing. Um, because not shooting enough, if, if you just go, let's say, I just got back from the Grand Canyon. We were only there for a couple of days. Uh, it's a hotbed right now. We didn't want to stay too long. We were just scouting for, for a map filming workshop. So if you just go to a place for a weekend, let's face it, right? How much are you going to really shoot? But if you work on a project close to home, if you work on a project around where you are, it gives you the opportunity to really dive in and shoot and shoot and shoot. It, it almost is doing yourself a disservice by going away for a weekend and saying, all right, this is my window. If there's something to be said about working on a project that you can really go deeper into and shoot often and learn and make mistakes and learn from those mistakes. Uh, and I'm learning a lot about that as well here too. Uh, I find myself going out and trying new things and shooting and shooting and you can get experience over years, but you can get years of experience over months. If you, if you're shooting all the time, yeah, you can really up that speed or accelerate yeah. that speed, especially in digital, because we, we can come back and immediately, you know, check out and see what went right, what went wrong, what we can fix, and then get back out there again and make it better. And that's the key. I mean, I love that uh, quote. I forget who said it, but, you know, fail, 
fail again, fail better, something to that extent. Because we're always striving for that, you know, perfect five-star image, which doesn't necessarily exist. We have to keep pushing, keep pushing forward. This is a bit of a pet peeve of mine, holding the camera wrong, because you want to look cool when you're out shooting, right? That's really the most important thing. Um, you know, on workshops, one of the biggest things is the idea of cradling the camera, because I see a lot of people holding it like this. It's a very awkward looking thing. There's something to be said, and I, I know that everybody's different, and people have issues, and they have different size hands, and they, they have issues, you know, with their hands, and they can't always do it, and I think people teen, uh, these days are morphing to smaller cameras, mirrorless, and of course the iPhone um, you know, is a camera you can always have with you. Um, but you want to kind of hold it properly. The traditional sort of cradling of the larger camera um, is, is for a reason, because it will give you a more stable position, um, which is a good thing. And it looks not weird. Um, I know if you watch golf, you can see that people hold putters in different ways and it still works. But, um, you know, get that together, everybody. Go in the mirror, pick up the camera, see how, see how you're doing it. And then we'll move on to the next one. What do you think? I, I'm laughing all the time because I didn't, very few things like get under my skin. And this is just <laughs> one of them. Like I stopped strangers. And I'm like, no, 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 you don't hold it from on top. And I didn't know that you felt the same way. Um, but it absolutely is true. Like, you would never see someone holding a rifle like this. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, you'd always hold it from the bottom because that's where the weight is. And mm. then it goes on to, you know, you extend your elbow so it touches your body so you have a, a stabilization. You actually, you, if you have a viewfinder, um, you put it to your eye because you have these points of stabilization. And spread your feet a little bit wider around shoulder length pause your breath, and all these things add up. They, it actually does make a big difference, but it all starts with the top of the lens, and it, it does drive me crazy. I would love to see that video that goes viral where you come up to a strange photographer and try and correct them you know, in the way they're holding their camera, and then they go off crazy on you. Yeah, not these yeah. days. Not, I'll, I'll tell them at a distance. I'll kindly tell them at a distance these days. Exactly, exactly. I got to say, like, if you're watching a really good movie, and there's a scene where there's a bunch of photographers, maybe a scrum, maybe it's paparazzi, maybe they're press photographers, and if they are not looking like photographers, if they're holding it weird, if, they're, if the cameras they're using are not, and, and I've seen it before, I can't name names of movies, but you know, productions that should know better. I mean, I'm maybe, me and a few other photographers, the only ones that suddenly are taken out of the movie because it's not real anymore. Have you seen that? <laughs> I, I haven't really noticed it too much. <laughs> I'm gonna look for it now though, I'm gonna look for it now. Because okay. it does, it's like, it is definitely a pet peeve of mine as well. All right, the next uh, um, uh, bad habit that uh, um, the Mr. Baggs uh, mentioned was the idea of playing it safe. And I think that uh, for all of us that do creative stuff, um, the idea of not playing it safe, getting out of our comfort zone and trying some new stuff, taking that you know, creative leap, if you will, I think is really important. And if you're listening to the podcast, mom, and you're not, if you find that you do play it safe a little bit too much, um, it's something to consider. And by that, I mean, don't necessarily head into physical danger, but, you know, try some new things. You know, Cliff, you mentioned the idea of you plant that tripod, you put it up to your eye, everything's the same. Um, you've got to sort of feel a little bit in uncharted territory so that 
that's when really interesting things uh, seem to happen. Yeah, creatively speaking, there's a movie I watched years ago, and I, and I talk about this quite often, and there's, it's a quote I never forgot. And they went into this, uh, this home, and they, they met this old lady, and this, this kid was driving everyone crazy. I think it was called Problem Child. And they asked her, the grandma, and it was like, what's your secret? And she goes, my whole life, I basically figured I have two options. I could be on a carousel or I could be on the roller coaster. And she's like, I choose the roller coaster every time. There's ups and there's downs. Right? And the downs, when the lows are low, the lows are low. But when, they're lows, when the highs are high, that's what makes it all worthwhile. And you can play it safe. You can be on the carousel. You could be in your comfort zone, but you're never going to grow. You're never going to stretch yourself. You're never going to operate at the edge is another way to put it. And um, I'm grateful every time I do that. Every time I'm uncomfortable, that's almost a compass point for knowing that I'm learning and growing and becoming a better photographer in the process. Yeah, you know, there's a quote similar to that by Hunter S. Thompson, where he talks about um, safely staying on the shore or kind of wading into the water and seeing where the current takes you. And along the same lines, you know, that's where the real exciting stuff uh, starts to happen. And from a creative perspective, we're not talking about necessarily physical safety here because that's a given, you know, it just doesn't pay to take too many chances. I mean, life is taking a chance to a certain degree, but when it comes to creatively trying some new things, that's the place to be. And by the way, that movie, I, yeah. The Problem Child, the Clifford Pickett story, I would... Yeah, that's a... <laughs> it's trending on Netflix. It's, it's, it's a personal awesome. documentary. I, I, a case in point... <laughs> yeah, case in point, it just, it, uh, just brought back memories of how uncomfortable I was uh, when I took that trip to Africa. And I worked with an organization called Big Life. And I, I lived out of a tent. I lived off the land. I had my water, my food, my gear, my lighting, everything with me. And it was so far from my comfort zone. And I was learning how to speak Swahili and I had to meet new friends. Every, every three days I had to meet a, a new group uh, and befriend them and document them and shoot them and tracking elephants and um, all of it and managing myself, my health, my equipment, my batteries, uh, communications, how much I've learned in such a short period of time by stretching myself. It was one of the best products I ever did. I did something like that in Cambodia. To a degree, I'm doing that now by living on, you know, in an RV, everything I need, 24-foot space. You're constantly stretching yourself. And it might not be fun in the moment. It's what we call type two fun, right? Something you look back on having been glad that you did it. <laughs> Maybe not necessarily glad you did it in the moment. Um, but I couldn't agree more. That could be one of the most important takeaways of this. Stretch, stretch yeah. yourself. I mean, I honestly think that... Uh, at my core, I'm basically shy. I'm basically not really a brave guy. But with a camera, you know, that's when things change. And I've done things for photography that I would never do otherwise. And I've taken on assignments that uh, have been way out of my comfort zone. A couple of years back, uh, Nikon was doing a, uh, a bunch of uh, these little infomercials and with Carson Kressley. I don't know if you remember that guy. Um, but they hired me to sort of, they asked me, you know, you're going to set up a, a portrait studio in Times Square, Carson Cressley, we're going to do this stuff. I said, yeah, sure. No problem. Um, not a portrait photographer. I took it. I was really nervous. Um, I got through it and it worked. I mean, I, I'm, was I the best choice for that job? Probably not, but it worked and it was fun. And every time I've taken on something that I wasn't sure about, you get through it. I mean, I honestly can't remember. I probably blocked out the times that things didn't work out very well. But <laughs> yeah. when it comes to, you know, travel, for example, I'm passionate about it. 
And with a camera, it's your excuse to kind of wade into the waters and jump on that roller coaster. And, you know, it, it's, it's a bit of a, a safety net. It's a bit of a, a um, I guess, a, a spark that you need to kind of get out there and do it. So those that are listening that are photographers, um, really, uh, I would consider if you, fa- if you think, if you're hearing this now and thinking, you know, I, I really haven't taken full advantage of that idea, you should, as long as you're safe, uh, you know, wear a mask. Yeah. And if you're coming up with every excuse why you can't do that thing right now, that's the thing. That's the thing that you should be doing right now. Everything that you come up with an excuse for, things that you're, you're trying to find ways not to do it, use that as a compass point. If it makes you feel uncomfortable, you're not going to get out of this unscathed. That's not the point of this. You're not going to get through it. You're going to learn from it and you're going to grow from it. And that's ultimately, that's ultimately the point. There's no perfect photographer. There's no world's best photographer, right? We're all just on this journey together, but we're, we're learning and growing. And to me, that's the, the beauty of this all. It, it's, a, it's an apprenticeship to where there is no master, right? And the more we grow, the more we grow creatively and personally, um, that's, that's the best that we can do. And, and that's what I hope for. And that starts with stretching yourself and putting yourself in the, out of your comfort zone. So bad habits, external validation. And I guess, you know, when you talk about that, uh, probably the first thing that might come to mind is the idea of histogram, Instagram, not histogram, histograms too, but Instagram, you know, the number of likes that you get, but it's more than that. And, and I know that, you know, as artists, we're always kind of putting our guts on the table or on our website or we're sharing it with the world on Instagram. And especially depending where you're, you're at in your journey, it's not always an easy or comfortable scenario to do that because you might think, oh my God, this picture, everyone's going to love this on Instagram. And you throw it on Instagram and, you know, it's kind of crickety. There's not, you're not getting a lot of feedback and you're surprised by it. Um, you have to kind of follow that North Star, I think, as opposed to be too influenced by the immediate uh, validation of some of the, the platforms that we have in front of us. And it's dangerous. Like when, when I remember getting a compliment on a picture, I always kind of remember that. And I would probably always remember sort of, you know, getting some negative stuff. It's the negative feedback that you can learn from for the most part. I think the, the pure compliments can be more detrimental to your creative process because they're not necessarily pushing you any further. And depending where they're coming from, uh, they may not even be valid. And how do we know, what do these likes mean, you know, on Instagram? So I'll let you speak to a little, little bit, Cliff. Yeah, this is such a loaded topic, right? I mean, we can just do a whole show on this. Yeah. The concept of external validation I would say just throw it all out the window for the most part and do your own thing. Follow the beat of your own drum. Don't try and be like anyone else. The likes are, you know, there's this group think and the likes are, well, this is what we like now. And in five years, it's going to be a different thing. And five years is going to be different trends. And if you're just trying to stay with the trends, if you're just trying to be, what's, what's Eugene Smith doing? Let me be the next Hansel Adams. Let me be the next, you know, insert name here. That position's already taken. That's already been done. You're never going to be as good as that person because what does that even mean? but there's only one you, right? And you're robbing the world of, of what it is, your vision, your voice, if you're not adamant about staying on that path. And the last thing I would say is, you know, be careful about whose advice you take and whose opinion you listen to. Yeah, I totally agree. Those nice, kind, you know, you know virtual hugs that people like to give people, it's, it could be hurtful in a degree because you're like, oh, I'm growing this. It's, it's, 
it's really the the honest feedback, not the feedback that's just there to, you know, cut people down, but the honest feedback. And even beyond that, you know, really take stock in who it is whose feedback you're listening to. You know, I'd say a lot of it comes down to look at your peers, look at the people who you trust, look at the people that inspire you, you look up to, and then heed their feedback. And even then take that with a grain of salt because it's all subjective. Yeah, I, I think that, uh, you know, feedback, even the who is less important than the what because, you know, you could have uh, Ansel Adams, I'm not saying this, I know he's not around anymore, but, you know, giving you feedback and you would think, oh my God, it's coming from the top of the mountain, this feedback. But maybe he's just not good at articulating feedback yeah. that can be helpful to a photographer. So for me, the best kind of feedback is something I can use where you would say, I like this picture and here's why. Or I don't like this because I don't see the main subject because I'm being distracted by this or that. So feedback it's less about kind of who it's coming from, although chances are when it's coming from photographers that you know and admire, chances are the what will be really good as well. But you could have uh, the photographic whisperer who's outside of photography that sees the picture and can articulate to you why it's not as good as it can be and what could make it better. And that's the best kind of feedback. And the other thing I would say is, um, you know, depending where you're at in your photography, confidence can be a bit of a problem, like which is the best picture. You just have to sort of go through that. You just have to fight your way through it. You've got to go against the wind, and you'll come out the other side with more confidence. The more feedback you get, embrace it. Embrace negative feedback and discard yeah. it if it's not useful, but use it if it is. And uh, it's really going to help. It's, it's going to be hugely helpful, especially if you're one of those that wants to keep pushing and getting better. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. All right. Well, let's, um, uh, so in terms of that, and, you know, just further to Instagram, because it was one of the things that's in the news, and I know you were just there, but there is this sort of Instagram culture where people want to kind of go to places that, you know, maybe Instagram influencers are to get their postcard, to get their face in, the, in front of that background. And just all too often, there's these stories, these horrible stories of people just randomly, haphazardly, losing their life for no good reason, um, but for taking photos. And, you know, we understand the power of the photograph, but it's gotten kind of crazy. You don't want to take physical chances. Um, we, want, we were talking earlier about creative chances, but that has nothing to do with these kinds of accidents that keep happening, right? And a and, uh, woman falls into Grand Canyon while taking photos. Sadly, you know, this happens on a regular basis. It does. I was just there last week. And as I was there, you know, people, I don't follow the news much these days. You know, I, I'm intentionally trying to get on a low information diet, but I speak to my students on a you know, daily basis. And, and I had several people reach out to me and say, you know, what happened in the Grand Canyon? Like, What's going on? It does happen often. And for several reasons, one, there is barrier. There are barriers there, which gives people the false impression of safety and then they'll go over it. Um, there's, you know, there is something to be said about when you put a camera in your hands, you do tend to do more stupid things when you take it away. And then that added layer on top of it, this whole idea of insta-famous. Um, if there ever was such an unworthy goal I can think of for humanity, it would be to be insta-famous personally. Mm. Um, but all those layers on top of it leads a lot of people looking to get likes, looking to get the unique angle. 
And this isn't new to the Grand Canyon. This is a lot of people who are doing um, railroad photography is a big one. The community has reeled against that. People who are up on rooftops, you know, doing the rooftop dangling over. Mm. Um, it's just, it's sad and it's unfortunate and it's terrible when someone hurts or, or loses their lives. But it's also just, guys, we have to be smarter about this. As a community, we mm. have to be smarter about this, really. Like, don't share these photos. There should be, there should be feedback and pushback from people that are sharing photos that put people in harm's way. Uh, yeah, and I get it. Like, I'm not, you know, we're, we're in landscape photographers. We want to get out to that precipice. precipice. We want to get to that mountaintop. Uh, and a lot of different genres of photography it's just unfortunate when something happens like this. Um, if nothing is worth your life, nothing is worth putting your life in jeopardy. No, no. And, and if anything, I think, you know, the more experienced you are in photography, I mean, we've all kind of been in the moment where we're, we're looking through the screen and there's a kind of false sense of reality when you're in that moment, particularly if your eyes to the viewfinder, for example, where, you know, you're looking at what's real in real time in front of you through a screen. So there's a sense of unreality to that. But at the same time, if you back up and you're on the street and there's cars coming, I mean, you, you, you need to be kind of present and aware, um, you know, and, and obviously in places like the Grand Canyon, where I think it's, it's nice in a lot of ways that, uh, you know, there aren't the plexiglass barriers up and the natural landscape is there for the most part. Um, but, you know, if more of this starts to happen, of course, you know, people won't be allowed there it's, if, it, if it gets too dangerous. But there's no reason for this, right? The, the, the irony is a north, this happened on the south rim. On the north rim, there's no, there's no barriers, right? Um, the Cliffs of Moore is another example. I went there uh, last year. No barriers anywhere. And there it's, it's very dangerous because the, the sand will just calf right off. It's not stable. The soil's not stable. The erosion takes place. And there's signs that say, you know, at your own risk. But when you see the second you step up on that precipice, that it just starts to calve off, you know right then and there, danger, you back away. The second you see a barrier, it, it, it's a little bit different. So the northern rim, there's, there's much fewer accidents because there's no barriers. But if you read that, the headline, she fell 100 feet. You don't have to be at the rim of the Grand Canyon to fall 100 feet. Yeah. You know, that could be literally anywhere. That's the craziness about it. It's just unfortunate that that made the headlines. But we just have to be smarter about it, just in general, really. You know, where are we, where, what we're doing. A selfie is not worth it. A selfie is not worth our lives. No, it totally isn't. Totally isn't. So we're going to sort of end our uh, podcast this week, uh, Cliff, uh, with this last uh, idea. And that's uh, kind of throwing money at stuff in terms of bad habits. So rather than kind of, work out what is sort of hurting you photographically. Uh, instead, you buy that new camera um, or you buy that new tool. Now, I perfectly understand the idea that uh, a new tool can inject some, you know, creative oxygen into your work. You know, you get a new lens, new way of looking at things, etc. But I think all too often uh, people believe that, uh, you know, if I get that new camera, that latest new camera, and we'll talk a little bit about some new offerings uh, in the photographic world this week. But uh, it's not necessarily going to solve your problems at all. As a matter of fact, it could create more problems. You know, we both do workshops, and we've had people that show up on these workshops with brand-new cameras. And instead of concentrating on kind of the incredible that's in front of them, 
they're dealing with this new device that they haven't completely figured out yet. So, and you know, when I go to places like uh, Cuba, for example, I meet these incredible photographers and just because of the economy there, uh, many of them are forced to be using uh, equipment that has long kind of, from our perspective, passed the expiration date. Yet they are making amazing imagery um, with these tools that a lot of us would just not even look at today think, how could you even use that? That was like 14 years ago when that camera came out. Uh, you're a good example with iPhone photography where, you know, it's the image that counts. Who cares what, what um, we, we shot with it? So with this throwing money at, at stuff uh, idea for your photography, I would say, look, if you have a lot of money, that's nice. But I think that um, maximize what you're using. Figure out if you're having issues, what those issues are. Chances are they're not necessarily something that can be solved with an upgrade in your tool. If you're shooting a lot of low light shooting and that's your thing and your camera is not good in low light, sure, it makes sense to upgrade to a, a camera that is really good at high ISO. But for the most part, I don't think that's kind of what's happening. So really kind of figure out what it is that is holding you back. And chances are you can learn to get past it and then eventually upgrade and, and make your quality even even stronger. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree more. I think there's, there's a minimum that we need to meet for gear, right? And this is a, a you know, classic example of everyone talking about the, the new gear, the new cameras, the new lenses, there is a saturation point. Anything beyond that, there's a law of diminishing returns. You don't want to have a piece of equipment that's so old and beat up and broken down. It's unreliable. It fails when you need it the most. It doesn't work in low light conditions. It's, it's preventing you from doing what you need to do. But be careful about inflating that. <laughs> Pretty much any camera in the last five or 10 years, especially the last five years, is going to be more than we would ever need. Anything beyond that, anything beyond something that actively prevents you from accomplishing your vision, anything beyond that is really just a waste of time and resources. And, and I mean that, you know, resources. Right? We do workshops. We have, I have students that come in with Hasselblads, Leicas, and those are all great cameras. I'm not knocking them at all, but all the lenses. And like on almost any profession, it's usually the people with the best gear that are the least experienced. If you're going to throw money at something, Throw money at the experience. Don't throw it on that new lens. Don't throw it on that new. That's not going to make you a better photographer. What's going to make you a better photographer is having that experience, going out and shooting, booking that trip if it's safe to travel there, um, investing in education, going out and just shooting. Invest your time rather than money and make all the mistakes you can and learn from it. The gear in almost every scenario is going to be more than enough than what you need to accomplish your vision. Just focus on that. That, that is what, one of the reasons why I use an iPhone. That creative limitation um, was one of the best things I could have done to, to, for my creativity. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, I, I think maybe that's a good place to end it. I mean, I know that there's uh, been some new stuff that's been introduced. Maybe we can save it for the next week, see kind of what's been happening. I know Canon had a big uh, announcement uh, this week for some new mirrorless cameras. We're going to see some new stuff from Nikon and Sony. I mean, that's going to continue. Um, but maybe from what we've just said, we can sort of end it there. Although I do uh, remember you saying earlier before we came on air, Cliff, you, you wanted to mention something about the uh, iPad Pro? 
Oh yeah, we could talk about the next session too. It's more about we like to, as much as we talk about not spending your money on things, gear is still important. It's not everything, right? It's like David Dushman saying, uh, gear is good, but vision is better. Uh, and so as far as gear recommendations, uh, I've personally been using not just my iPhone, but using an iPad Pro for various, for various different reasons. It's nice having the big screen from a scouting standpoint. It's nice to have from a portfolio standpoint, using it with my drone. Um, you know, there's, you don't have to invest a lot of money. It basically replaces a computer. Um, and we can get into when we talk more about gear. So it's, yeah. it's not that big of an issue, but, um, there are different pieces of gear that I found that I've been using and relying on, uh, throughout this whole adventure that I've been on that has been foundational to allow me to accomplish what I've been doing out here. And that's just one of them along with the phone. Okay, well, you know, we'll wrap it up here, Cliff. Uh, thanks so much. It's great to see you. Uh, maybe let, let people know uh, what's up with you, where they can find you. Yeah, so you could just Google my name, Clifford Pickett. I'll be on Instagram, Clifford Pickett Photography as well. Um, reach out. We are doing B&H Live broadcasts. I did about six weeks of them. We're taking a little bit of a hiatus in July. We'll be back in August with a couple more. I'm speaking to them uh, actually yesterday about booking some more. Um, PSA, Photographers uh, Society of America, I believe, is Shiv Burma. I'll be doing a, a talk there next week. So for those of you who don't know about it, go check it out, sign up. That'll be fun. That'll be on Lightroom. And um, yeah, just reach out anytime. Shoot me an email, cliffordcliffordpico.com. Reach out to both of us. Uh, we'd love to know what you guys like about this, what you would like to see different, what you'd like us to talk about, topics, all of that. Just keep in touch and let us know. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh... I'm finally going to finish my audio book that I've been doing, my passionate photography oh, nice. book, a photography book in audio format. Uh, that's like golf on radio, but hey, I'm giving it a shot. Uh, before COVID hit, I had seven chapters done. I've got a studio booked here, so I'm going to see if I can knock out the rest. And, uh, and that's one of the perks on my Patreon page, and people can find me there on Patreon slash Steve Simon, and of course, the thepassionatephotographer.com. There's links to all my stuff and uh, a lot coming on, but we'll, we'll talk more in the coming weeks. Um, but in the meantime, I hope everyone out there stays safe and well and gets out there and does some shooting. And uh, until next time, uh, this is Steve Simon, the passionate photographer, saying goodbye. And Cliff, I'll let you adios as well. Yeah, Clifford Pickett, thank you, honestly, all of you guys for spending your time with us, and we're looking forward to, to the next one. We'll, we'll speak to you soon. Take okay. care. See you soon. Thank you.